Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from episode 57, our introduction to the Liver Forum with Executive Director Veronica Miller and our longtime friend, Manal Abdul-Malik, plus Marvold, a conversation from season two, episode 50. The webpage from season two that was viewed most often in the last three months by our listeners and downloaders. This conversation starts with Jorn Schottenberg noting that in Manal Abdul-Malik's past appearances on the podcast, she has discussed the value of simply stabilizing disease. Jorn asks whether the forum is creating new insights on that front as part of the placebo arms activity. Manal goes back to the challenges raised by our inability to predict a priori placebo response rates and several issues in managing samples through trials. She notes that if researchers can integrate placebo arms from multiple trials, this will lead to a far larger data set and the ability to create deeper insights and more robust solutions to the issues around the best way to manage and standardize. From here, Jorn asks another question which shifts our focus towards composite trial endpoints. After a brief discussion of this issue, the conversation turns to the value of AI and better controlled study analysis, which I tee up with a question about reducing placebo rates. After Veronica Miller responds to my question, Manal suggests that the goal of the placebo activity is not to lower placebo rates, but instead to standardize them in the most accurate ways possible. The conversation ends with Jorn noting that he is constantly concerned about whether he's matching patient trial to maximum benefit, a specific activity he sees doing better as a result of the placebo arm project. It was fantastic to allow some of you who sit on the outside to learn a little bit about the liver form. Certainly fantastic for me. As I note to Veronica Miller at the end of the episode, I'd love to repeat this process every three or four months. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. I was going to reach out and hand it over to Manel because she's really one that on this podcast has discussed this at length, all the, the concept of stability and not progressing. And I think you've really gone through a lot of content that the Liver Forum covers here and that are most important to the field. So I'd be you know interested to hear Manel again and see, and see how she views the stability aspect, you know, over maybe what has changed in that over the last year, one and a half. Is there any movement? Manel Abdelmalik. Veronica has brought up several very important points. We struggle in our trial design because, one, we can't a priori predict a placebo response rate. And we've seen promising drugs fail because the placebo response just happened to be higher than one would have otherwise anticipated. And at the same time, as we design trials around NAFLD and NASH, adherence to clinical trial designs has become an important issue. If you have patients who stop participating or elect not to finish or undergo an end-of-treatment biopsy, that can potentially cripple an ongoing study. And so the element of understanding placebo cohorts in their totality, predictors of placebo responsiveness, predictors of adherence, getting an assessment of the background noise, both as a collective cohort, but if there are even regional differences, site differences in how we practice when we implement, quote, a standard of care around NAFLD and NASH, which is the background for a placebo interventions, but I don't know if my standard of care approach is the same as yours, yours in Germany, but yet we pull all this data together and try and make heads and tails of it as if it's one collective group. So I think by capitalizing and leveraging in these data sets collectively, we can learn from the thousands of patients we've treated in the field as a whole over the handful or the few hundred that are any one single unique program and draw some very more powerful conclusions 
conclusions and assessments and even benchmarks by which to power and design future trials so that we can be more effective. And this is just gets at the collective whole as opposed to the strength of the collective whole as opposed to the parts, if you will. The background care is, of course, a source of variability. I agree. Something that's more interesting to me is if we combine those two histologically accepted endpoints, fibrosis regression and NASH resolution. I'm thinking back to some of the presentations we saw at ASLD. The placebo rate really tickles down. The effect size or the efficacy size also loses and you don't see you know, big changes. But it, as long as we get the placebo response down a little bit, I would be satisfied. And actually, EMEA has not really stepped back from, from wanting both of these endpoints um, being positive. And I wonder, Manel, what your take is. Would this be analysis where you are more inclined to say, well, there's a true effect because you have a placebo of 5%, let's say uh, an active drug arm of, let's say, I'm making this up 15, but it's significant because you have enough patients. I think we still are at a crossword where we have to be flexible. And what I mean by that is while the composite endpoint of NAS resolution and fibrosis regression is a much stronger endpoint by which you're going to minimize your placebo response rate, the armamentarium of therapies that we have to work at for NASH may have different targets. We may risk, if we are too stringent in our consideration of endpoints, defining a very good, safe antifibrotic, and that's really all that it does. It's not an anti-metabolic therapy, but would work together if combined. But before we can do combination studies, we have to study each of these therapies by themselves. And so while I appreciate the dual surrogate endpoint is lends strength to be able to deal both with NASH and fibrosis, we're still going to be doing trials where the mechanism of action, the target of interest may be strictly an anti-inflammatory drug or an anti-fibrotic drug or be a potent anti-steatotic and then with time impact the downstream mechanisms of inflammation and fibrosis. So one of two things is going to happen. We either need the all-powerful, all-encompassing, you know, hit it out of the park drug, which trumps any of the background noise or we have to make allowances to tease out the risks, benefits, and alternatives of unique therapies, which is where I think we currently are in the field. I, I agree. I'm with you. And this almost sounds like a liver forum communication, Veronica. That's not entirely surprising, is it, Your? No, it's not. It's great to have both on here. I had a question from maybe a different angle. We've spent a bunch of time on this podcast, in part because of my bent, which is statistical, taking a look at some of the issues around reader reliability and the impact that that had and all the things that we're talking about. I mean, um, the paper that Beth Brunt was the lead author on that, that Quentin was talking about and Nancy and has taken a couple of times since suggests at least that you can resolve some of the placebo variability simply by doing a better job of getting your readers aligned. I'm wondering if that is related to any of the work being done in this project or other things you're doing and how that plays into this discussion of getting placebo results under control. Veronica Miller. Right, right, right. That's a very good point. Yes, definitely. I often talk about that aspect of it as being an incremental improvement to really get to better definition of, for example, the famous ballooning cell that seems to pop out in and out of people's fields of visions. And that's an incremental improvement, but it's not going to get us there. It's not going to be, you know, hitting the ball out of the park. So I think along with those incremental improvements, we need to have exponential improvements. That's really where we need to apply what every other field is doing, uh, which is machine 
learning, artificial intelligence, these histology images, they're so complex and have so much information. And here we are depending on can somebody pick out a ballooning cell or kind of judging, yeah, that looks like a lot of fibrosis to me. And again, the whole buildup of fibrosis and the regression of fibrosis, those are very, very complex mechanisms that happen, not just in the liver, in other organs as well. I mean, we, after all, we do need fibrosis for wound healing, but it's not just fibrosis, yes or not. It, collagen is, is just a very, very fascinating field unto itself. So I think we need to get much more granular at what we're looking at and how we interpret that. And I call that the exponential improvement. And then the hit it out of the park improvement will be when we have other correlates of disease progression that are not dependent on a biopsy. Because even if you apply all of the AI and machine learning that you want, you still can't take a biopsy every month and you can't take a biopsy every three months. You can do it at the beginning and at the end of the study. Roger, you said something that I'm going to beg to differ with a little bit. I see the ultimate mission of this placebo working group, if you will, not so much to minimize the placebo response rate. If somebody's going to get a placebo response rate, all the more power to them. They're not going to to go on long-term therapies, but really to understand this better. Because if we can define a priori, who's going to respond optimally, effectively to lifestyle modification, they, they're the patients that shouldn't get put in these trials to begin with. In which case, we don't have this level of heterogeneity and variances, and we have to really strive better. Once we have a, a, a totality of patients who are on placebo, we can a priori then do the deeper dive into to their metabolomics, into their genomics, into their clinical or genetic phenotypes to figure out who uh, of these placebo patients uh, has that dual surrogate endpoint or has the, the best outcomes or the worst outcomes, in fact, such that we can do better with picking the right patients for the right trials, for the right duration, and in fact, doing better than we are currently doing with one-size-fits-all approach. You have NASH and you go into a trial and we're learning more and more about the heterogeneous response, even in placebo. Some people progress, other people resolve their disease, but why and who are they? And so we could do better getting them into the right studies. Yeah, I, I always wonder uh, which patient am I selecting for which study too. And sometimes it depends on which study nurse is there, right? This is so much pre-selection ongoing here that I always not worried, but I think, you know, how robust can the trial be that even if it's not the best patient can still figure this out, I think. And through the liver form, actually, through the exchange, through ideas, discussing that, we can, through the field, uh, unify the whole type of study selection, enrolling patients, you know, not telling every investigator who they should enroll, but kind of agreeing on certain standards of best practice, what should have been achieved or done before. So I think that's also when new investigators come into the field, they have very high screen failure rates and how the liver forum can help. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week, possibly with a preview episode for Nashtag, possibly with something else. We'll announce that later in the week. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.